Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in to yet another episode of The Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Trey Reeves. I'm joined by Mr. Garrett Turney. It's a lovely Memorial Day weekend as we're recording this. Happy Memorial Day to everybody out there listening. Hopefully you're enjoying this podcast, uh, not at work, um, unless you're listening uh, later on in the week. But as we're dropping this on Monday, it's a beautiful three-day weekend. Summer is upon us, Garrett, and we are shifting the calendar and ready to go. How are you spending this lovely three-day weekend as we're recording this on a Sunday evening? Uh, well, first off, uh, I just want to say thanks to everybody who did ultimately give their lives and sacrifice that. That is why Absolutely. we do celebrate Memorial Day Absolutely. and remember those people. So uh, we appreciate you and all those. I hope that you're able to spend that time with your family and enjoy that. But um, you know, we were able to spend some time with our family as well this week. And we went out to San Angelo, Texas for, uh, one of my cousin's weddings. And it was a nice little picturesque hillside over there. And, you know, if you've, if you've never been to San Angelo, Texas, which maybe most of you, um, <laughs> if you've never been, it's kind of on the edge of sort of hill country in West Texas. So you kind of get a little bit of both in places. So, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun out there. A lot of fun just seeing family and doing that whole thing. Um, and, and getting to go and be around family again. What about you? How are you spending your weekend? Well, we are in the hill country as well. We got to float a hill country river yesterday, which is always go. a good time just sitting in an inner tube and not really caring about anything <laughs> outside of your 10 foot radius is pretty, pretty fantastic. So yeah, a, a lovely weekend. Echo the sentiments. We, we salute those of uh, that we celebrate this weekend for. Absolutely. Um, yeah. They paid the ultimate price for us to be able to have this podcast. Absolutely. Um, but Garrett, as we are shifting into the summer, the temperature's heating up, obviously, but the other thing that's heating up is the hot takes and the hot takes this <laughs> time of year usually stem around the quarterback position. And that's what we're going to take a crack at ranking today. We're going to kind of have a two part episode. Our next couple episodes here on the three tech are going to be breaking down conference quarterback rankings. And I'm really excited to jump into this. I'm really excited to debate this kind of go back and forth because, we are seeing a changing of the guard at the quarterback position in uh, this year of college football. I know we're returning the Heisman winner. We're going to start out West because that one's the easiest. Uh, it's pretty easy to pencil in the reigning Heisman winner at the top of his conference, but outside of a very select few, we're losing a lot of household names in college football. Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, um, DJU is a guy we thought would be a household name and out of college football by now. And he's completely switched coasts. Is he going to make our top five? We'll talk about that in here in just a second. Right. But the, so many of these guys that we just expected or were household names are moving on. They're either in a new situation or they're out of college football completely in the NFL. And it's time for a new guard to usher in. So to me, it's a really exciting time in college football. Yeah, no, it's super exciting. It's it's always kind of fun to see what happens when you get all these new quarterbacks because, as we know, quarterback probably the most pos important position on any sporting team anywhere. 
um, maybe maybe point guard in like the NBA or something. But um, you know, you got a college football quarterback literally has the ability to change a season. We've seen time and time again. You take a team who maybe is okay or maybe not very good, and then they get the right piece of quarterback. And if he's enough of an athlete, has a good enough arm. You know, there's enough inexperience around the country and at certain positions that he can really perform well and, and take his team over the top. We've seen it time and time again throughout college football history, and I'm just really excited to see kind of who's next, right? We, we've had sort of the similar faces. It was kind of a good quarterback draft this last year, uh, and after them, it's it's time to see, you know, who's up now. And obviously, yeah, we do have a few returners, and it'll be, you know, some conferences are probably going to dominate when it comes to returning quarterbacks, but – there's a, some of these conferences that you look around, you're like, wait, hold on. Is this guy really number one? And we did it a couple of times preparing this list. We said, wait, this guy can't be number one. We're like, okay, I guess this guy's number one. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of fun to see, you know, where these guys end up on the list. Yeah, it, it, it's, it was fascinating to talk about these lists and debate back and forth a little bit. Before we get too far into the weeds with that, I do want to take care of the housekeeping. Make sure you're following us at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's where we're posting video content almost daily. Um, it's going out. You guys are doing a great job sharing that. And make sure you're subscribed as well to help us out with all the algorithms and everything behind the scenes with that. And if you need yourself a good hat for uh, the summer months that are coming up, I know if you live down south, you got to shade your head. But as Garrett motions towards his head with his Fayetteville collection, I'm wearing my trusty College Station collection. Of the university traditions line of hats, guys, these we've been talking about them a lot on the show. They're amazing, uh, amazing pieces of headwear. We love wearing them out. Uh, I was wearing mine on the river yesterday. Um, get a lot of compliments every time that I wear my uh, college station collection out and about. Um, and the other guys do, too. No matter which collection you're looking at shopping, whichever team you're looking at supporting, university traditions hats go just above and beyond. Make sure that you are sporting your favorite team in a good looking hat and using our promo code three tech one five three tech 15 at checkout at university traditions to get 15% off your order. But Garrett with that taken care of, uh, we are going to talk pac 12, big 10 and ACC today. And then our next episode will be sec big 12 and group of five. Didn't forget about the lower level divisions there. <laughs> We're definitely going to talk that as well. Cause there's a lot of good talent there, but today let's start out West because as I said, out West, we kind of have the easier job of filling out the top five. We're going to go for our top five and kind of the next tier. We'll just kind of lump those together um, after we go over our top five. But of course, at the top, it's going to be Caleb Williams at UFC, the reigning Heisman champion or Heisman trophy winner, I should say. Um, Cotton Bowl runner up um, that we got to see <laughs> in person. Shout out to Lane. But there's no reason to put Caleb Williams, not just number one in the Pac-12, but number one in all of college football. He is the best returning quarterback on paper and on the field. The stats say it. The eye test says it. He's going to go number one overall in the NFL draft. There were teams that punted on taking a quarterback this year when they really needed one just so they would have the chance to take him in the NFL draft number one overall next year. So, yeah, I mean, is there anything that you're concerned about with Caleb Williams going into 2023? Uh, just maybe that he's not going to be as amazing as he was last year. <laughs> I just yeah. he, He's going to be great. But last year, I mean, was absolutely sensational. Threw the ball 500 times last year. Passed for uh, 4,500 yards, 66% completions. Those 42 touchdowns and only five interceptions is incredible. Uh, 168 passer rating on that. Just, I mean, doing 
ridiculous things. You did, you know, mention the the Cotton Bowl runner up. That was not because of him. By Absolutely not. The USC defense. We were Mitch and I were there in person. It and they choked that away. It was, it was a spectacular bad. choke. He, he completed seventy one percent of his passes in that game for four hundred sixty two yards, five touchdowns, and a one seventy three rating. That's and, stupid video game numbers, and, and they it, still couldn't beat Tulane. You say those numbers too. And it, it doesn't even do justice of watching it in person because that was yeah. the first time I had ever watched Caleb Williams in person. TV does not do him justice. Like if you get a chance, if you're out on the West Coast or if you if he's you know playing near you in a bowl game or something like that, he is worth the price of admission by himself because our jaws were just on the floor constantly every time he was touching the football. So yeah, I mean, yeah. is he going to live up to yeah. those gaudy numbers this year? Maybe, maybe not. I don't think – I think the USC defense is going to be better this year. I don't think they're going to be elite by any stretch of the imaginations, but I think they'll be better. And so he might not be asked to put up 50 points a night to make sure right. USC wins a game. But, yeah, I mean, I he might not put up the gaudy numbers, but he's proven on the field that he is QB1 in the entire NCAA, not just the Pac-12. Well, and you say that that Tulane game was only his fifth best game, according to passer rating. Like if you're just looking at his passer rating through the year, that was only his fifth best game. He played, I mean, phenomenally across the board, you know, start to finish last season. There wasn't really one game where he said, ah, he kind of struggled there. I mean, you could maybe, maybe say Oregon State where he wasn't as phenomenal, but I mean, across the board, it was it was just a great season for him. Probably the best player in college football this next season. Definitely the most important to his team. And I, I think it'll be a lot of fun to just kind of see where he ends up going. And, and not, not just where he goes this next year, but where he's ending up, you know, in the future, in his NFL career, seeing which team gets to scoop him up and, and just how high he can fly. Because I think we're looking at a really, really special quarterback. If you needed yet another uh, fun stat for Caleb Williams, he also averaged 42 yards per punt in 2022. <laughs> so he twice against Notre Dame, and they both and the average was 42 yards, which you know I think most bad. college it's coaches would take that from their punters. So uh, yeah, Caleb Williams at number one, write it in Sharpie, lock it in. Behind Caleb Williams, I think the Pac-12, at least of the conferences we're talking today, has the biggest the most number of names in the top tier i guess i'll phrase it that way there, there weren't a lot of debate outside of what order to put them in on guys that should be in the top four number two three four for us we decided to go the order of michael Penix jr at washington at number two bo Nix at oregon at number three yeah. and i can't wait to talk about bo Nix, which is not a phrase that i would have thought i would be saying this time last year <laughs> and cam rising at utah who has just been mr consistent um out there in salt lake city so garrett let's start with let's start with Penix jr because mm-hmm. i think coming over from indiana there was a lot of hope that he would provide a spark to washington's offense and he just far far outseated expectations last year in the pacific northwest oh absolutely he's fantastic now he did end up beating Caleb Williams in passing yardage. But the caveat to that is he did end up throwing the ball like 50 more times than he did yeah. too. He, he was, I mean, slinging it last season. Um, but not to take away from anything he did, he did pass for 4,600 yards on 65% completions, 31 touchdowns, eight interceptions. If it wasn't for the fact that Caleb Williams is in this conference, he's probably the best in whatever conference he's in. Yeah. He, he's a fantastic quarterback. And really gave Washington a jolt there from a team that I never really thought of as an offensive juggernaut. 
I never really looked at Washington and thought, oh, those guys are going to put up massive points. Those guys are going to really threaten you. They ended up winning a lot of games and, and scoring a lot of points behind this really, really good offense. He scored four touchdowns. I'm looking at it four times last year. A lot of quarterbacks don't pass for four touchdowns at all in their career. He did it four times in a season. He, he's an excellent player, very, very good, very talented, and I think probably a steal in whatever you know the, the next draft is, wherever he ends up going. He's probably a steal for whatever team picks him up next year. Yeah, he is my Hendon Hooker watch for this yep. year because I think Hendon Hooker – he, he put up gaudy numbers his first season at Tennessee after winning that starting job. But then this, this past year in 2021 or 2022, excuse me, he really burst onto the scene, especially with that Alabama game. Yeah, I'm, I'm pulling up Washington's schedule right now. I didn't have that pulled up, but I think that Penix Jr. is not necessarily a household name at this point. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I wouldn't necessarily call him a household name at this point. Yeah, he's someone that if you watch college football, you know about him. But if if you're just kind of a casual fan of maybe just your team or your conference, you may not have heard of him yet. Yeah, and I, I think he's going to have some opportunities to really burst onto the scene this year. I mean, they played Oregon last. They play Oregon every year, obviously. But November fourth, he's going head to head against Caleb Williams mm-hmm. at the Coliseum, and that's a game that I'm kind of penciling in. Like we'll do our college game day predictions like we did last year here pretty soon on social media, but that's a game that I'm definitely penciling in for college game day. I think that's going to be a national audience. USC's last season in the PAC 12 before, you know, jetting off to the big 10, that's going to be an opportunity for Michael Penix jr. To cement himself and maybe a Heisman candidacy season. I don't think that's going too far because he can absolutely carry his team. Washington's a dark horse playoff contender. Yeah. to me because of Michael Penix Jr. Yeah, no, he he could lead this team to the playoff. I mean, it's not absurd to say it. I know, I know that the Pac-12 doesn't do very well getting teams into the playoff in the first place, but if you're going to say it's going to be anybody, I don't think that it's too far of a stretch to say Washington has as good of a shot as any other team in that conference, simply because if you look across the rest of the conference, we're only saying that USC has a better quarterback and they had holes to fill on that defense. They will be better on defense. How much better still remains to be seen. Go beat Tulane before I'll talk about you as a, as an actual playoff (laughs) contender. And that's not to shade Tulane. They're a very good team last year, but if you want to be a college football playoff contender, you shouldn't be losing to Tulane. Um, And look, Washington, for all the flaws and for all the issues that they have on their schedule, they had a, two week stretch of bad football last year and that's it and they 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 could very well have been in the in the playoff contention if it weren't for just a couple bad weeks on the road yeah um, where things kind of spiraled so uh, i'm and really curious to see where washington awful. ends up but you could say a rose bowl a rose yeah. bowl could definitely be in play here um it wouldn't shock me to watch them win the conference that that would be even if they don't make the playoff they could win the conference for sure yeah they and they were a tiebreaker they were a weird tiebreaker award mm-hmm. Uh, away from going to the Pac-12 title game last year and competing for a spot in the Rose Bowl. So, yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely possible. Um, and I-, I would say likely at this point that they're at least in New Year's Six game. Uh, yeah. ne- next on our list, I'll, we'll kind of lump these next two together. Um, they-, they deserve their own spotlight, but just for time's sake. Uh, Bo Nix at number three at Oregon, Cam Rising at Utah. Garrett, week one last year, we thought, oh boy, here we go again with Bo Nix after that performance against Georgia. 
I think he got pulled in that game, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, it, it was rough. It was a rough going, not just for Bo Nix, but for that entire um, Oregon team. Offense, defense, special teams, just a rough all-around performance. After that, he threw just five interceptions the rest of the season, including uh, their bowl game against North Carolina. If you tell me that Bo Nix is only going to throw five interceptions <laughs> over the course of 12 games... <laughs> Like, I, I don't think I would have believed that going into last year. He took care of the football, and he not only just managed games well, he was the reason that Oregon was competitive down the stretch. Oh, for sure. And I, obviously, look, his struggles at Auburn are well-documented at this point. I think that has a lot more to do with where Auburn was as a program the last couple of years, and he just was the unfortunate, talented quarterback at the top of that schedule. Um, and, yeah, obviously, they didn't compete with Georgia, but if you're going to say that, you know, not competing very well against Georgia is cause to, you know, say that you're a bad quarterback or anything else. I mean, you're going to have to look up and down that list because Hindenhooker didn't play that good against Georgia. And, uh, oh, oh yeah, by the way, uh, that TCU quarterback, <laughs> Max Duggan, he didn't play too good against him either in the national championship game. So playing poorly against a very talented Georgia defense, I don't think should cost you anything. Um, but yeah, after that, it was fantastic numbers. He did complete 71% of his passes. 3,500 yards, almost 3,600 yards, 29 touchdowns, and a 165 rating on the year. He's great. He's a really good quarterback. And I think his resurgence was kind of the most, I think, unheralded storyline of the season. Uh, Nobody talked about it, but I think everyone should have been talking about it. He brought Oregon back to national relevance as far as the national conversation went. And he, he... he did a lot for that program to look a lot more valid in terms of what they're able to accomplish on offense than they had looked in previous years. Obviously, Justin Herbert, good quarterback a few years ago, but I think Bo Nix kind of brought something else to that team. Um, and they just were really resilient all year long. I, I saw not a lot of quit in them, um, and they were real close to being, again, in that Pac-12 championship game and being able to compete for their conference. And again, in year one under Coach Dan Lanning. Yeah, and he made that transition really, really easy. Another guy that's making things easy is Cam Rising. I mean, if you're if he's the quarterback, you're just penciling in Utah to Las Vegas at this point, aren't you? Like he, I mean, you're penciling it's, in a trophy at this point. Yeah, this is I mean, you said Cam Rising. Let's get his title right. That's back to back conference champion <laughs> Cam Rising to you. Yeah. <laughs> He, he's a great quarterback and, and again probably one of the more slept on guys nationally his numbers are never like amazing necessarily he doesn't put up the same like just general statistics the other guys have but again 64 percent completions over 3,000 yards 26 touchdowns eight interceptions in a team that is very run heavy in a team that is very physical and, and not necessarily going to be a blow you away offense that's what you want out of your quarterback. You want a guy who's going to be competitive. He can push it when he needs to. And again, let's talk about his performances over the course of the year. In a game against USC, he completes 64% of his passes, 310 yards, and three touchdowns to win the conference. Earlier that season against um, let me find it, USC, he threw for 415 yards and two touchdowns on 68% as well. So And had three on the ground in that game too. Yeah, and so when the when the lights turn on and the lights are bright, Cam Rising seems to turn it on. Now, bad performance against Penn State. I think we all think Penn State's a, a playoff contender. And he was injured in that game. He, he did get injured in that game. Right? Well. Yeah. And, and so, 
he wasn't great before he was injured. He completes eight of his 21 passes. Not fantastic. But, again, Penn State, a very good defense, a very good team um, that I think everyone expects a lot of this next year. So, Cam Rising, I think, is one of the more underappreciated players. I think a lot of people have called him a bus driver in previous years. He's not a bus driver. He's a very talented quarterback on a physical run-first team who can, when you need him to, step up and really pass the football. And I think that's a great point, too. I think throughout this series, you're going to hear us talking about a player just doing what their team needs them to do. And so Cam Rising is never going to have the numbers that Michael Penix or Caleb Williams have because he's he's not asked to do that. Mm -hmm. But he is going to – I mean, he's not a bus driver, but he is going to drive the bus. He's going to run a run-first offense extremely well. And when he needs to throw, especially in the red zone, he's going to be deadly targeting the tight ends and targeting uh, the uh, other options that Utah has. It's just a different offense, so he's not going to put up Mm -hmm. the crazy numbers. Um, Our number five spot – might surprise some people if you follow the Pac-12 closely I don't know that you necessarily it necessarily will but off the field stuff aside if we're focusing just on on the field talent we have Jaden Delora from Arizona Mm -hmm. at number five and so you know people have kind of written off Arizona the last few years I don't blame them because it has not been pretty it's not been a good product that they put on the field but Arizona is a team that is looking extremely different than what they did, you know, just a couple years ago in the Kevin Sumlin era. And a big part of that is Jaden Delora coming in as a transfer and really taking the reins of this offense and showing what he could do. He was good at Washington State, but he took it to another level last year in his first year at Arizona. So, Garrett, I guess our, our next tier after that, we have we, we chose to put Delora in over Cam Ward at Washington State. And then the two unproven guys that we think could be on this list by the end of the year, Shadir Sanders at Colorado and Dante Moore, especially mm-hmm. remember Dante Moore's name, because by the end of yep. the year, he, he could legitimately be top three in this conference, I think. So uh, any thoughts on, you know, just people that might question why we put Delora in over those guys? Yeah, I think the big factor in putting Delora over a guy like Cameron Ward really just came down to simply the numbers. I think they're pretty comparable players i think they're both good players who are going to make some mistakes that might cost you but are also going to make some plays that keep you in games at the end of the day he passed for 400 more yards and had a better passer rating so we just ended up putting him in over it because statistically he was better but you could probably interchange delora or cam ward the reason we don't go with guys like dante moore or shadur sanders is here is because we have no idea what they're going to bring to the field Both of these guys could be top three in the conference by the end of the year. I could see either of these guys pushing out Bo Nix or maybe Penix Jr. was kind of a one year and done type of situation. Either one of these guys are talented enough to push either of those two guys out. I'm not going to put them above Caleb Williams at this point. That's ridiculous. But either one of those guys are talented enough, I think, to push those guys out. And we don't know what's going to happen at Colorado. We've we've kind of pumped the brakes on the Colorado hype train on this podcast a little bit, but we'll acknowledge that things could turn around to Colorado and they could have a pretty solid team next year. Um, And and Dante Moore at UCLA, we saw what DTR was able to do at UCLA. And I think Dante Moore is a similar type player. If not, I think a better natural passer than what DTR was. And so if he develops and depending on how quickly he picks up the offense, I think you could see him end up being a really, really good player in year one. We're just not confident enough at this point to put him on that list. 
Yeah, and I think the biggest argument, going back to Delora, I think the biggest argument against him is he just hasn't won anything and he hasn't delivered wins for Arizona. You look at the roster that he's given to compete with. I I don't think that you can necessarily put that blame on him. He does turn the ball over a lot. Um, He does force things a lot at times. Um, If he can improve on that, he could definitely move up these rankings as well um, Mm -hmm. as we look at the end of this year. Um, But transitioning from the Pac-12, Garrett, where do you want to go next? Do you want to go ACC, Big Ten? What are you thinking? I think Big Ten is the more interesting conversation because there's there's a lot of new faces in the Big Ten, and I think our our list might shock some people on the Big Ten. Well, let's go up north then. Let's let's go to the true Big Ten country, not Los Angeles. Not Los Angeles, yeah. Let's go up north because you're you're right. There is a huge, you know, we would obviously Sharpie in C.J. Stroud over the last couple of years Mm -hmm. as QB1 in the Big Ten, and no one would bat an eye. And even guys, you know, below that, there's a huge changing of the guard in the next tier as well. You think Aiden O'Connell, Tanner Morgan at Minnesota. We thought Casey Thompson could have a really good year at Nebraska last year. That didn't necessarily materialize. Um, Spencer Petrus um, has uh, <laughs> gone from Iowa as well. But, or else um, he would have been I, number one. He, I, he was honestly, dynamic. Like he, he had a shot to just rock it up the ranking. But um, <laughs> all jokes aside, it, there, there's a big changing of the guard in the Big Ten especially. And I think people are going to be really shocked at our list because, again, we're, we're trying to balance what we've seen on the field in college versus just raw talent. And there's a lot of brand new starters or guys that have not played a lot of football at the collegiate level in the Big Ten that are going to be leading these big programs, thinking Kyle McCord at Ohio State, thinking Drew Allard at uh, Penn State. Both of those guys make our top five. But our number one is Talia Tagovailoa, the Maryland quarterback. And Garrett, you are all aboard the Talia hype train right now. So just, just hit us with the case. What, what is the case for him being QB one in the big tent? Because I think people are swerving off the road when they hear that, if they're driving in their car right now. <laughs> yeah. Please, please make sure that if you are not in a good place to drive and you are driving and listening to this podcast, you pull over to the side of the road. We want you to be safe more than anything else. But yes, we do put <laughs> Talia Tagovailoa from Maryland at the top spot. Um, look, here's really our reason why you might be shocked to hear this, but over the last two seasons, he has passed for almost 7,000 yards and 44 touchdowns, uh, on 68% completions. Those numbers are kind of dumb. Those numbers are a little bit stupid. Um, he, his big season was 2021 where he passed for 3,800 yards and 26 touchdowns on 69% completions, almost hitting that 70% mark. Um, and then last year took a slight step back, 67%, uh, 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns. But he did deal with a little bit of a lower leg injury. He got carted off the field you know, later in the year. He was able to come back, but I think he missed the Northwestern game. Um, he, man, he has the arm talent. Obviously, we know what his older brother was able to do at Alabama, succeeding now with the Miami Dolphins. He has the pedigree. He has that sort of whatever that talent is, those genes that run in that Tagovailoa family, he has that. But he has accomplished a lot at Maryland in his own right. He's been an effective passer. He keeps that offense humming. And, oh, by the way, he he has kept them in these tough games. They lost to Michigan by seven, and they were we – we all got the ESPN notification that he had the ball down three against Ohio State with, like, a minute left. We all got that notification from ESPN on our phone – 
things didn't go very well at that point. He ended up getting, you know, his left tackle got blown by a couple times, sack, fumble, touchdown, plus, an, you know, or I think it was a safety or something like that, and then the field goal or something like that. So it didn't end up looking very close. Um, but <laughs> he is a very talented quarterback who has kept them in these games. He, he got them to these points, a little bit of execution in a couple different places, and they may have won a couple of these big games. And you combine all this with the fact that they're getting Josh Gaddis to come in here as their offensive coordinator, he's been a two-time Broil Award winner at two different schools, Alabama and Michigan. They don't have the same talent level, but he will have this Maryland offense running the right direction. And I think that's why, at this point, I feel the most comfortable with Talia Tugavailoa in this situation. He's the most battle-tested quarterback, you know, especially in the Eastern Division. I, I would 100% say that. And J.J. McCarthy might take umbrage to that, but – I I would I would put him as the most battle tested and proven guy that can make plays on this side of the conference for sure. The question is going to be, you know, can he take over a game and can he lead Maryland to a victory against one of the big three? He has not done that to this point in his career. He's not beaten Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan, um, unless I'm just grossly forgetting something in his career, but that's the next step for him. Right. And I think, you know, they, they've recruited really well. They have a better roster around him. He's also do, he did this last year hobbled. He was hobbled for a good chunk of the season. You mentioned him getting carted off, but he was banged up. It seemed like dang near every week last mm-hmm. year and shaken up or his offensive line was causing him to run for his life. I'm thinking of the Penn state game, especially where he's just, you know, running for his life um, behind uh, the offensive line that really struggled against the more talented teams. And he's also doing it without an alpha wide receiver. You mentioned this off air, Garrett, but mm-hmm. they have they have guys that got drafted in the NFL draft this year, but no one that really stepped up and said, I'm your go-to target. Throw it up to me when I don't even look open and we'll make something happen, right? Like he has not had that at Maryland for a consistent time period. So if somebody like that can step up and give him a little help, I think I feel even more confident. I think right. I agree that we're talking today. This is obviously the least you know locked in qb1 uh, i wouldn't be surprised if we look back at this in december and we're kind of shaking our heads at ourselves saying ah, why did we get that hyped up but also you know he could definitely lead maryland to i'm pulling up their schedule right now is nine or ten win maryland completely out of the question because i mean i would put their qb depth up against almost anyone in the big 10 and yeah it, ranking them number one I think nine win is extremely on the table. I think 10 win is going to be tough just because that top three in the big 10 East is going to be really tough to beat. I will say, I looked back cause I didn't even know this one. He did beat Penn state in 2020. Now okay. 2020, you're going to say, Oh, Penn state, was, very, yeah, Penn but, state was really down that year. You're right. But yes, but he did. at the same, he did beat them a couple of years ago. So just to make sure that we're, you know, giving Maryland fans their due. Yes, he did beat Penn State one time. Thank you for um, fact checking. And, and he really did beat Michigan it. State last year. I know they were down too, but he did smash them up pretty good. He'll so. beat Michigan State again this year because Michigan State is a dumpster fire. He probably will. He probably will. And yeah, especially with no pain thorn. But um, he's he is a very talented quarterback. He could take them. Over the time. He's going to have to take over a game at some point. Yes. They they have a pretty strong running game. Their receivers, nobody's really going to scare you. They did get a transfer in from West Virginia, so that might help. But I I still think you're going to need a receiver to step up as his primary go-to guy in order to really take over a game. But 
it could work in reverse where he just finds a guy and there's, you know, that guy's just fast enough to beat his corner in that matchup. And so he's able to take advantage of that. So you could see him go the other way and take over the game and put them over the top. I'm not sure if it's sort of a chicken or the egg situation for Maryland right now, but Talia certainly has the talent to keep them in these games. And I wouldn't be shocked if they grabbed one of them this year. They should start five and oh. They, they have sure. Towson, Charlotte, Virginia, at Michigan State, Indiana. Yeah. I 5-0. Oh, they, they should be. If they're, if they're ready to take the next step, we they should, should be talking win. about highly ranked Maryland this year. It, they'll, they'll, and if they're 5-0, oh, they'll probably be top 20 going into yep. um, that showdown in Columbus um, in early October. But move, moving on to the rest of the conference, um, I'm going to go through these next four quickly because, I mean, there's going to be a lot of debate, and this is going to be completely shuffled up. I can guarantee it by the end of the year. All four of these other guys – absolutely have a claim to being number one because of their performance on the field mm-hmm. at number two we're gonna go with tanner mordecai yep. um, who transfers from smu to wisconsin drew aller comes in at number three at penn state getting his shot to be the full-time starter kyle mccord at number four and jj mccarthy from michigan rounding out the top five teddy is screaming at his phone right now yeah, i know sorry teddy He's back-to-back Big Ten champion. And, you know, the case against J.J. McCarthy is he, he's always – as long as he's at Michigan, he is not going to be the star of that offense. It is going to be the running game. It's going to be the tight ends. They're going to be a run-first team. That's just what they're going to do. That is true. And J.J. McCarthy is going to make plays when he's asked to. But – and he's, you know, has a dang good chance to win a third straight division title this year. Has right. a very good chance to do that. But, um, and I don't know when the last time a Michigan quarterback has done that or if that's ever happened, a third straight conference title. But, I, you know, like I, just from pure talent and what we've seen on the court, I, I don't know how you can't put Tanner Mordecai number two. He was just a machine at SMU and he's going to be running a very, very, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, that he's going to be a plotting slow offense. Nope. That's your granddad's Wisconsin. That's your dad's Wisconsin. They're running an up tempo. Um, very fast, you know, they, they hired Phil Longo from North Carolina who wants to run a fast up-tempo spread air raid system. And Tanner Mordecai is going to just take the keys to that job and run with it. I know they brought in other transfers. I know that it's a competition quote unquote, but Tanner Mordecai is not going there for his last year of college eligibility when he has legit NFL aspirations. Right. Um, to not be the starter, or at least given the first shot at that start. So I think he's going to be great at Wisconsin. And then you got the two unproven guys at the big boys in uh, Drew Aller and Kyle McCord. And I think you could put either one of those, you know, whatever order you want to put those guys in, I'm fine with it. Mm-hmm. We've seen more from Drew Aller um, to, at this point in their careers in actual pressure situations for me to be comfortable to put him just slightly ahead of Kyle McCord at this point. Right. Uh, you know, Look, on the McCarthy thing, you want to like him because he's he's played well, big stages. But last year, uh, I looked this up just to make sure I had the game logs right. They won everything except for the TCU game, obviously. But in six of 13 games that he like had meaningful playing time, he had a game where he went four for four for 100 yards. But there was a game where, if you're looking at just these games, six out of the 13 games, he failed to reach the 200-yard mark, which – that's not necessarily a condemnation. He didn't throw the ball a whole lot, but again, I don't think we're going to sit here and say this guy's a, a you know rock star quarterback when he's not throwing the ball all that much. 
he didn't have to. He's got two of the best running backs in the country right behind. If you're going to rank your running backs, and we're making a list of running backs in these conferences, you're probably putting two Michigan running backs in that top five. Uh, they're they're extremely talented in the running game, and they don't have to. I also think it kind of hurts them that they don't necessarily have stud receivers that they can trust to go up and get the ball every time and just throw jump balls. They have good receivers, but I don't think they have that stud on the roster. Um, and, and so, I mean, look, it, it could be different. We could be eating these words at the end of the season with a new revamped Michigan passing offense where they decided not to run the ball with their two talented running backs. Uh, I, I just don't think that that's who he is. Tanner Mordecai, he's going to tear it up. Obviously, Fickle going up to Wisconsin um, is going to be big for them. Um, and, and, I mean, if you look at his numbers, they're just gaudy over the last yeah. couple of seasons. He's thrown for, I mean, just every single yard that you can throw for at this point. Um, throw for, you know, 7,000 yards the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and, I mean, just lighting it up, lighting it on fire. He's thrown for 76 touchdowns and really three real seasons um, as, a, as a starting quarterback. Um, if you combine the two where he kind of played at Oklahoma. Um, and, and I mean, just a, a very talented guy, obviously, because he hasn't done it against the highest level competition. We're not going to put him up there over uh, Talia for number one. And then, yeah, Drew Aller, Kyle McCord, good quarterbacks, just haven't seen him. You know, we, we think that they're going to do a lot. We think that they're going to do a lot more in their offense than what J.J. will do in his, just in terms of how those coaches are going to use their quarterbacks. But we just haven't seen him yet. You know, we, we could very quickly week one or week two be scratching out both of their names, putting them at the bottom of the list and saying, JJ, you're number three, bud. No problem. Um, but, you know, we just we haven't seen it. We don't know yeah. what they're going to look like. We think that we know that Aller is going to be really good. He looked pretty good in the the mop up duty and the little bits of time he had last year. <clears throat> and then Kyle McCord, look, he's an Ohio State quarterback. They throw the football. If he's good and if he's if he can maintain that level of success Ohio State's used to, He'll be really high on this list by the end of the season, but uh, we again, we don't know what he can do. Yeah, and neither one was asked to be in a lot of stressful situations right. over their career to this point. I'm impressed that Allard in his first collegiate action, he, he saw action in 10 games last year. Yep. And he, didn't, he didn't throw an interception, which is really impressive to me. I think that's a really, really good sign for the Penn State faithful. Obviously, we're high on the Nittany Lions as a podcast this year. We've no. talked about that. He, but... he did only throw six passes in those games, or 60 passes in all those he games. He did, so. yes. Not a lot of passes, but he didn't throw a pick, which is impressive. So Yeah, and in, if you're looking for other guys to keep an eye on, I think a couple transfers um, throughout the rest of the conference. There's going to be, like I said, a ton of new mm-hmm. starters throughout the entire league. But Luke Altmaier going from Ole Miss to Illinois is really intriguing to me to see what uh, Brett Bielema can do with a really talented gunslinger back there. And then Jeff Sims, I listen, he, he didn't light the world on fire at Georgia tech. He obviously, you know, it, there's a reason that he was not asked to come back, but not many at Georgia tech, but um, you know, I think that he could be really interesting uh, for, for uh, Nebraska this year coming up and, you know, Nebraska just needs a spark. They need someone that's not going to turn the ball over and, you know, could just be someone that they can cling to. I don't know that he's a long-term solution, but just keep an eye on him. He could he could make things a little less miserable for the Nebraska faithful this year. Yeah, Matt Rule would turn that program around, but yes. probably not yet, and probably not with Jeff Sims. Jeff Sims, if you're looking for an NFL quarter, uh, NFL correlation, could be the guy that they just call into tank for this year. But sure. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. Moving on to the ACC, though. Um, 
this one is interesting, Gary, mm-hmm. because <laughs> woo, we got the top four, I think, relatively easily. And after that, there were literally five guys that we considered for the number five yeah. spot that uh, I think they're pretty interchangeable at this point. So I think the tiebreaker that we went with was just kind of success in the conference. Right. Um, consistency in the conference. But we'll start at the top. And I think it's not going to come to anyone's surprise that Drake May, who, if you're looking at early NFL draft predictions for 2024, is usually QB2, right behind Caleb Williams. And a yep. lot of NFL scouts are really excited about his potential um, as a prospect. And Drake May, look, he put it on the field at, at North Carolina last year. A lot of people were really concerned about you know what what's going to happen now that Sam Howell is not under center? Can Mac Brown's offenses and uh, Longo's offenses continue the success? And the answer was absolutely. Drake May just went out and I, I think blew everyone's expectations out of the water for his first year starting. I mean, we were literally before they just collapsed in November. We were having to remind people that hey, you should maybe pay attention to North Carolina. They are quietly ten and one or whatever. And, you know, could burst their way into the college football playoff if things fell their way. And obviously things didn't happen that way. But Drake May was the reason that they were, you know, winning all of those ball games. It certainly wasn't the defense, <laughs> but right. Drake, Drake May kind of put the team on his back last year. No, he really did. He he was just a shade worse than Caleb Williams in terms of statistical comparisons. Uh, 66% completions, 4,300 yards, 38 touchdowns to just seven interceptions. And to his credit, he did this without guys like Jordan Addison to throw the ball to. He has talented receivers on that roster. Yeah, Josh Downs, who's right. Josh Downs is a very good receiver. I don't think he's as good as Jordan Addison. No. Um, neither did NFL teams. And uh, you know, I, I think that overall the talent level to pass the ball to at USC was much better than the talent level at uh, North Carolina. And so. I, I'm not saying that he's better than Caleb Williams at all. I'm just saying he did play at a very, very high level and a very comparable level to Caleb Williams without some of those guys. And I think against probably better defenses top to bottom in the league. So, um, you, I mean, we can debate that if we want to, but I think the ACC played a little bit better defense than the Pac-12 last year. Um, and, and look, he put up some really good games. He, he had some really good performances. Uh, I'm looking at Duke and Pittsburgh where he went over 380 passing yards both times, didn't throw a pick. Uh, you know, 77% completions against Pittsburgh last year was amazing. Um, he threw 448 against Wake Forest in that game. They just some real big numbers across the year and really kept this team in some games. And, you know, especially I think about that Appalachian State game where they ended up winning that game, <laughs> but it really looked like that. they weren't going to win that game. <laughs> yeah. And so, look, it, it, they won that game. It's better than some power five teams can say this last year um for Appalachian State whatever it's fine ah. um, but but Drake May did play really well um last year and he he should be up there in that conversation about that top quarterback taking off next year's draft yeah any other year that Caleb Williams wasn't also going out I think he would be QB1 on a lot of people's boards yep. moving down the list I think you know you did make a case to switch number two and three. We'll talk about both of these guys together. We did end up putting Jordan Travis at yep. number two, Florida state quarterback. And the other guy that we considered for number two might be a surprise to people. If you weren't paying attention to one of the greatest under the radar stories in college football last year, but Riley Leonard out of Duke, mm-hmm. 
I think definitely a guy that's not a household name by any stretch right. of the imagination, but if he repeats his performance, he's going to be very high on a lot of NFL draft boards for 2025 in my mind. So he could definitely be a household name by the end of this year, but you know, ultimately, you know, we're riding the Knowles coin now. We, we got in a little later than uh, Mitch. Mitch was on the ground floor and is reaping the benefits of that yeah. at this point. But we're now riding the Knowles coin as well. And I think Jordan Travis, you know, fantastic season last year, really resurrected the program, kind of burst onto the scene against LSU in uh, that first I guess that's not totally fair to him. He did have a really nice close to 2021, but right, really yeah. cemented that in that LSU game to start off last season and then never really looked back. He carried that offense, looked fantastic, throwing the ball, running the ball, and you know, really resurrected the hopes and dreams of that program in Tallahassee. Yeah, and if you didn't know his name going into the year, you do now. Yes. You have to know his name now. And really just culminating in that big win over Oklahoma – where he threw for 418 yards, two touchdowns, 71% completions. Very good number for him um, and really, really solid. I think Jordan Travis is absolutely one of the better quarterbacks in the country, nonetheless the conference, and he should be really good this year. His game isn't very gimmicky. He does a lot of things well. Um, the, the reason we were split on this one and the reason I really like Riley Leonard here is you might be surprised to hear it, but Riley Leonard had more total yardage than Jordan Travis last year. Yes, he did. He was dominant on the ground as well. He, he's a good passer. He threw for 2,900 yards, 20 touchdowns, but ran for almost 700 yards, just fell short of it by one yard, 699, and 13 touchdowns on the ground. I believe that was most among quarterbacks in college football last year um, with those 13 touchdowns. Really, really solid player, and, and I think he is the underrated reason why Duke had their resurgence last year. You know, everyone points at the defense. Mike Elko, obviously the defensive coordinator, at multiple stops before making his you know, head coaching debut. But I, I think that Riley Leonard should get a lot more credit for what they were able to do last year. Not necessarily a dominant team in a lot of ways. Not necessarily a, a you know a crazy offense that put up massive numbers but they did finish 32nd in scoring in the country. Yeah. So maybe a surprising number for a few people, not a number that Duke's necessarily familiar with all that frequently, but a very good quarterback who I think can do a lot in both games. Ultimately, Jordan Travis has accomplished more on the field. He was able to win bigger games, um, but don't take anything away from what he was able to do on the field at Duke. So, what, What's fascinating to me, a couple things. I'll confess, I didn't realize Riley Leonard ran for 700 yards last year. Yeah, I, I, I you know, maybe that is enough to flip it in my mind. I, I still would give the slight edge to Jordan Travis. I think so. And but man, running for 700 yards, I, I, I'll confess, I did not expect to see a number that high. I knew he was efficient on the ground. I knew he did pretty well, mm -hmm. but 700 yards and 13 touchdowns to go along with his 20 passing touchdowns is just. Crazy. I, I had no idea. Runner, he's you, a track star. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, noted, noted sprinter Riley Leonard. Uh, but <laughs> the other thing that I'm just going over their schedule again from last year, and we can talk about how great a story it was for them to win nine games in year one for Mike Elko. I think Mike Elko is looking at it and saying it could have been so much better. They lost <laughs> by eight points to Kansas on the road. They lost by three in overtime to Georgia Tech on the yep. road. 
They lost by three to North Carolina, and they lost by two at Pitt. So in their losses, their four losses are by a combined what? Seventeen points and, and three like of them, right? three of them on the road, three of them on the road. Absolutely. So you know they are very, very close. I'm fascinated to watch Riley Leonard go up head to head against our number four quarterback, Cade Klubnik, week one in a primetime spot. I think oh, yeah. that is going to be a fascinating game and really tell us the trajectory of. It, it's going to be an overreaction special. I think. Oh yeah, for if, sure. If Clemson wins that game, you know, maybe if Clemson wins, it's not going to be very overreactionary from the general college football public because, you know, in most people's minds, Clemson is supposed to beat Duke. But if Duke can somehow, and Riley Leonard can somehow knock off Clemson week one, that hype train is just going to go through the moon whenever everybody realizes what they did last year. But mm-hmm. I do think that's a good transition to get over to Cade Klubnik because this is a guy that had all the heralding coming in last year. Um, probably should have been put in sooner. I, I I think I'm I'm safe to say that. I think this is a safe probably. space where we can say that. The frustrations with DJU were real. He finally did take over um, for DJU later in the season, and it, it was a bumpy ride. I, I think long term. I, I, long-term, I think they would have been better off playing Cade Klubnik more last year. I think they knew what right. they had in DJU. But I can't fault them for you know playing DJU as much as they did when they definitely still had a shot at the college football playoff. Dance with the one that brought you. I get all that. But mm-hmm. towards the end of the season, when he finally did get a shot, it was really the last two games other than spelling DJU for a drive or two. He had one really good game against North Carolina where he was dang near perfect throwing the football. And he had one not so good game against a not so stellar Tennessee secondary. So what do we make of that? Obviously he's a true freshman last year, all mm-hmm. the talent in the world, but a true freshman and true freshmen are going to do true freshman things. They are going to have their ups and downs like he did in his two starts last year. So where do you see him coming into this year? Because I think Clemson, we've talked about this before. There's not another Cade Klubnik on the depth chart right now that you can put your fan hopes in as a fan base if Cade is not the guy. Right. I think if you had asked me last year about this, I would have told you that Cade Klubnik has the ability to be the best quarterback of the conference by the end of the year. I'm not as sure about that this year. I think he could skyrocket. I think he could be two by the end of the year if he plays really well. Um, but I just don't think he has what it takes to be that that top-line you know, top, top, top draft pick type of guy. I, it might be in there, but I, I think we saw some stuff with last year at just towards the end of the year. The game against North Carolina, he was very good and efficient, but he wasn't necessarily explosive. Hmm. He had one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown, didn't hit the 300-yard mark. He didn't throw that many passes. He only threw 24 passes. So, again, maybe it's just a, a victim of the passing. He they were they were complete. running away with that game as well. Yes, and, and he did complete close. 83%. So that's a ridiculous stat for that. But that North Carolina defense is famously not very good. We talked about that just, you know, two seconds ago. Um, North Carolina's defense was not very good last year. And I don't think success against them is necessarily um, uh, something to hang your hat on. Tennessee also did not have a very good defense last year. And they got smoked. They shut game. down. Clemson's offense like they couldn't run the ball they couldn't throw the ball it's really the first time all year that Tennessee looked dominant well and of course 
the the clip of Cade just, I mean, flailing in the air while he tried to just heave something downfield. Uh, you feel bad for the kid because he was running for his life, and Clemson didn't look ready for that in a lot of facets. That wasn't Cade Klumnik's fault. Tennessee was a much better team than Clemson, and they exposed some problems with the Clemson offense. But for what he does hold blame in, he did only complete 55% of his passes and threw two picks. Yep. So I don't know what I'm supposed to say about him. He He's okay. He looked really good in high school. He was super talented in high school. He's played all right so far in college, maybe with a full offseason, maybe with, you know, knowing he's the starter, running with the ones for a whole season. Maybe he takes that turn and he's a really good quarterback. I don't think the career is over for Cade Klubnik, but I don't know that he has that upper end talent and upper end potential that we thought he did coming out of high school. He, he may still have it in there somewhere, but he did not show it to us in his first year in, in college football. And, you know, this is where we're ha- having to try to balance uh, talent on paper versus what you've shown us in, col- mm-hmm. in in the college level. Because if you're talking about just pure talent at the college level, or sorry, excuse me, just production at the college level, Kate should be behind the next five guys we have yeah. on our list, uh, undisputed. And this is where it gets kind of silly because these next five, we literally could throw them in a bag, pull out a name, and I think no one would really argue uh, with whatever one we came up with. So the, our next tier of five, and I'll go with the guy that we decided to put at number five first. We decided to go Garrett Schrader from Syracuse. And the also rans here, and I, that sounds mean, but the, the next tier, I guess, behind that, they're all fighting for that number five spot. spot. Jake, Jack Plummer, who transfers from Cal to Louisville, who quietly had a very solid season for the Cal Golden Bears last year. Everybody's favorite problem child, Tyler Van Dyke, down at Miami. <laughs> Brendan Armstrong, uh, who transferred from Virginia to NC State. And Phil Dracovic, who transferred from Boston College to Pitt. So a lot of in-conference transferring here. But Garrett, I know, like we literally put them on a random generator selection, yeah. and then, and then uh, I think I can't remember who actually came up. I think it was Plummer. Came yeah, up Plummer on came up on the wheel. That wasn't how we ended up making our decision <laughs> um, because we're better than that. We're not going to make an actual decision on that. We just really couldn't decide, so we thought maybe a wheel would help us. Um, but look, it's these five guys, it almost feels like they're all fighting to not take the fifth spot. They really are. They're like, no, I don't want to be number five. You'd be number five. And then, you know, Tyler Van Dyke gets in there and he's like, what if I just act like I'm not good at football anymore? And then he goes away. And then Brennan Armstrong is like, Hey, I was really good for a season and then decided to suck again. (laughs) It's really confusing. Who wants to be this next quarterback? I think the reason we went with Garrett Schrader at number five, at the end of the day was because he is trending in the right direction. And, and I think he's the year. most consistent too. I think we yeah. know what we're going to get from Garrett Schrader. Whereas the other guys might have higher ceilings, right? But Garrett Schrader, we know what we're going to get week in and week out for the most part. Right. Well, his, his first year at Syracuse, he not great. 52% completions, 1400 yards, nine touchdowns, four picks really was not a factor. And, and that team being anything, um, last year, Syracuse a lot more competitive and looked a lot better, and that's not in any small part due to Schrader and his performance. He did complete sixty-four percent of his passes and twenty-six hundred yards for. And, Syracuse uh, started six and zero last year. Like we yeah. forget, people forget that because yeah. they finished one and five. But uh, yeah, don't don't worry about that. Don't <laughs> pay no attention to the Syracuse second half record. But 
they played well. They they played well last season. He was a big reason for that. He became what I would consider a pedestrian quarterback and, and something that you would say he was just your normal college quarterback, didn't look like anything special, but wasn't shocking you with how bad he was. And he did that, and they ended up playing well. And I know that a lot of that had to do with the running back. But um, they, they played well. They, they played pretty well. And, you know, I could see him taking another step in the right direction next season. This, this is maybe somewhat optimistic, but I could see him maybe sticking around that 26, 27, 2800 yards, maybe getting up to 20 touchdowns. He could take a step in the right direction. And, you know, we could see Syracuse back in, you know, a bowl game situation, and we could be there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think he's, like I said, the most consistent. We, we know what we're going to get from him. Yeah. And it's not going to be elite. The ceiling's not that high, but he can manage the game well and he can lead you to a victory when, you know, there, when it's equal or a uh, slight advantage talent to Syracuse, right? I, I don't right. know that he's going to be the guy to go out and upset one of the top dogs in the conference. He certainly was last year. When you look at the other options, again, you know, Jack Plummer, I think, could could burst onto the scene this year. He's the interesting one to me. I am quietly very excited about Jack Plummer coming over from Cal to Louisville. He was the lone bright spot for the Cal Golden Bears last year. Mm -hmm. And he's going into an offense, Jeff Brom's offense at Louisville, is going to be, I think, really tailored to his skill set. I think he can be really successful in that offense. I think he can be kind of Aiden O'Connell light. And I think you're doing cartwheels if you're Louisville, that you got that out of the transfer portal. Who knows what we're going to get from Tyler Van Dyke? Is he going to be, you know, the guy we saw as a freshman that we thought might be a Heisman (laughs) contender, or is he going to be throwing his team and home fans under the bus on Twitter? Like, (laughs) Who knows with Tyler Van Dyke? He is the one guy on this next tier that could be top two. I think if he turns it around, like he is the one that's talented enough to be top two. Brendan Armstrong certainly needed a change of scenery. I think if he has a bounce back here, he could be exciting. And Phil Dracovic just needs to stay healthy. Like if he can be yeah. on the field, he's going to manage the game for Pitt. But and, and maybe put a slight bit more talent around him. I know Zay Flowers is extremely good, but outside of Zay Flowers, that is not a fun offense to watch. Sure. That, absolutely, absolutely. But man, this this mid tier <laughs> ACC quarterbacks not great. Not great. And they're all kind of, you know, the Spider-Man meme of just pointing at each other. <laughs> and, you know, we'll, we'll see who kind of comes out on top of this tier. But Garrett, I don't know about you, man. This conversation has me really excited for the season. I think uh, when we talk SEC Big 12 G5 on the next episode, I think we're going to have some really, really fun mm-hmm. debates. I'm just thinking of the names right now that we're going to have to discuss and decide where to slot in it, it's, I mean, is Joe Milton QB1 in the SEC? Stay tuned next week Tyler Butner. to find out. Okay, <laughs> okay now. But, um, yeah, guys, this fantastic episode. Hope you guys enjoyed this conference quarterback breakdown. Make sure you're following us on the socials. Subscribe to the YouTube and check out our friends at the Transfer Portal CFB as well. Get excited for even more talk in our preview art uh, magazine that's coming out very, very soon. That's all for this show, though. For that guy over there, Mr. Garrett Turney, I am Trey Reeves, and we'll see you guys next time.